Good morning, church. How you doing? Good. You having a good summer? I hope so. Okay. Can you turn with me to Luke chapter 14? Probably going to be up there, but... And let's just pray one more time. You can never pray enough, can you? <laughs> Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you once again for this day. We thank you for your presence here today, Lord. Thank you that you're with us, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you bless the fellowship that when we come together, O oh God. Lord, we just ask once again that you would be with us the rest of this time. Lord, um, we just pray that whatever you want to be said would be said. I ask that you would please speak through me and that all of our hearts and ears would be open, God. You would speak to us, Lord. And God, um, bless the reading of your word, God. And we thank you that it is anointed, Lord. And um, we just ask your blessing upon the remainder of the service and that your perfect will will be done. Have your way in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so discipleship is priceless. So I have a question for you before we get into um, Luke. Do Americans count the cost? As Christians, we're asked to count the cost, right? If we're going to follow Jesus and be disciples. But as Americans, do we count the cost? Do we think about things before we uh, buy? Do we think about what things are going to cost before we spend money? Okay. Do we consider uh, what we're going to spend before we go cha-ching with our credit card or before we sign a contract. What are some of the things that we buy as Americans? We like to purchase houses, right? Cars. We, um, we like to go to college, okay? College tuition, all of these things. So as a result, we end up racking up what? Debt, <laughs> right? Uh, many of us, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure probably several of us in this room, some of us have dealt with or are dealing with some form of debt, okay? Um, as I was doing some researching, I found a quote here that a recent study showed that 80% of Americans are caught up in the chains of debt. Mortgages are the most common debt that Americans carry, followed closely by unpaid credit card balances, car loans, and student loans. Any of this ringing a bell or ringing for familiarity to any of us? Okay. Yes. So probably, you know, many of us knew what we were getting into when we signed up for the mortgage or the car loan or for the credit cards. However, some of us, like for example, maybe at Christmas time, didn't really realize what we were getting ourselves into as we went shopping and maybe we didn't keep our receipts and on and on and on. We kept going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And then our bills come in in January and February, and we went, whoa, how did I spend all of that money? So sometimes we're not good at counting the cost. What do you think you spend on college tuition, just for example? Mortgages can range, right? You could go from, well, around here, I doubt you can find much for $150,000. Um, but like, you know, maybe, maybe you spend two fifty dollars uh, and up, right? But the, it says, um, what I found out was average college tuition for 2018 to 2019 for private colleges last year was $35,676 per year, which I thought that was actually a little bit low. But if you multiply that times four, you got $142,704, okay, for four years. That's a nice chunk of debt when you get out of college for four years. So we're, we are definitely familiar, okay, 
with, with debt and things like that. But do we count the cost? That's the thing. We wonder if the person who wrote the 12 Days of Christmas song, if that person counted the cost, okay? Because if you actually added up all of the things that that person that, you know, gave all that stuff to the, to the true love my, on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me, okay? If, if you actually added up all of those things and you weren't totaling them in current day prices, okay? I don't know when that song was written, but not, not current day prices. It would have totaled up to $10,314.92, okay, for all of those things that the, that the true love got, okay? So I wonder if he or she counted the cost. That's a lot of money for all of those things. But so, okay, so maybe some of you count the cost financially, okay, before you buy something, and that's a good thing to do. But how many of us spiritually count the cost when it comes to our commitment to Christ? How many of us think about it? How many of us really considered our relationship with Jesus before we, quote unquote, signed on the dotted line, okay? Many times we just, we say, okay, you know, when we're, when we're trying to win souls, we say, come to Jesus, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, and you'll be made brand new, and you'll become born again, and all those things are true, okay? It's not, it's not rocket science to accept Jesus, but Jesus is not saying for us to enter into a commitment with him lightly and without thought and without contemplation. He asks us to really contemplate and to count the cost before we enter into a relationship with him. We're not supposed to enter into it lightly and just thinking, okay, well, this is, this is just not a big deal, or it's just, just a, okay, I'm just going to say yes, and, 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 you know, and, and that's it. It's a, really, it's a really big decision when you come to know Jesus, and there is a, a cost involved. So what is this cost? That's point number one. When we're about to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he's asking you to consider the cost. So can we put up that point? Please, thank you. Consider the cost. What is the cost? It's up there. <laughs> Everything. Everything. That is the cost. Okay? Luke chapter 14. It will cost you everything to know Christ. Okay, we're going to start at verse 27. I mean, sorry, start at verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, talking about Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Just pause for a minute. Okay, so you see the word hate there. If any of you are flipping out over that, okay, hate can also mean love less in the Bible. So it doesn't, you know, have to mean like hate how we take it in our modern day context to mean like, you know, strongly dislike. Uh, it can mean love less, okay? Um, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, okay? Bearing a cross, a cross is a symbol of suffering. A cross is also a symbol of death. So that means that you and I must be willing to suffer for Christ, 
okay, that it's not going to be all a, a bed of roses, okay, when we enter into our relationship with Jesus, that we are going to suffer. There is going to be some of that, and who knows how much, that's, that's up to the Lord, but, but that, that is going to happen. Also, we must be willing to go to the death for Christ. You might be martyred, I might be martyred for my faith, or it might not happen, okay, but we have to be willing. That must be one of those one of those things. We must be willing to die for Jesus, to take up our cross, okay, to bear, to the carry, the word carry uh, has the undertone, it has the, the meaning of bearing something burdensome, okay, sustaining a burden. You must be able to, to bear, bear the cross, okay. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. How many of you ladies or how many of you men have a spouse that started to do a fix-up fix project in your, in your house maybe, and has left it and it's like half done? Anybody have that? Okay, so, all right. Well, I don't, I don't know who your wife is, but so I won't, I won't tell on, I won't tell on you, but she knows. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I had a friend who, I, well, I still have this friend, a friend or her husband was half finished with the bathroom. So it could be an embarrassing situation, right? I mean, if you half build something, right? I mean, if you, if you go by, you go to driving by and you see a building that was half built and, and they didn't have enough money to complete it and it's still standing there. I mean, usually we don't see these things. You, but you, you make a joke out of it. It's a mockery if someone starts something and they can't finish it, right? Okay? It's the same thing with our relationship with Christ. Jesus is saying, don't start something that you can't finish. Don't start something that you can't follow through with. Okay? When you start a commitment to Christ, follow through with it. It's not just a, you know, oh, I'm just going to come to the altar, accept Jesus, I'll, I'll have some feel-good feelings, and then go out on my own and just, li you know, live, live how I want to. No. You make a commitment to Christ, and then you carry your cross. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Did you get, did, did you get that? Did I get that, that last that last verse there, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Everything that belongs to you, everything that belongs to me is not really mine. It's his. You know, like how we sing that song, I Surrender All? Well, make sure you, make sure you sing it. Make sure we all sing it honestly, okay? Are we really surrendering all? Because it doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to him. Okay, so that king, you know, you don't go to battle with your men if you don't think that you're going to be able to win, right? Okay, you don't go out and do these things. You, you, you have to have a plan, okay? And so like Jesus is saying, you have to count the cost. You have to know what this is going to entail in order for you to become my disciple, okay? Don't just think you can jump on the bandwagon and all ride along and it's all going to be, uh, you know, cozy and warm. There's a cost involved with following me. Okay, so, verse 34, 
Salt is good. How many of you like salt? <laughs> I like salt. But if, um, oh, can I just tell this funny story? This has nothing to do with what I'm, I'm going to embarrass my mother. It's nothing to do with my sermon, but okay. It was my daughter's birthday, and she was maybe going to turn four. I don't remember now, or five. And um, she, she loved this pumpkin cake. And um, I, told, I said to my mother, I said, Mom, don't worry. I'll make the cake when I get home. You don't have to do it. I'll take care of it. Okay, you know, because I was going to do the mix and everything, and I know where all the stuff is in my house. Okay, well, I came home, and guess what? My mother had made the cake. But um, I had a container. It was a clear container, um, and it had something white in it. It was about filled this much, and she thought it was sugar. And um, guess what? It was not sugar. And so the recipe called for, like, a cup of sugar, and so it was salt. Yeah. And so we were all sitting, we cut the cake, and we're all about to eat it. And we're like, this is salty. Like, and my daughter, she was so little, she wasn't really too sure what was going on. And I'm like, Ma, what happened? You know, so that's what she did. She put a cup of salt in it. Um, anyway, so overkill. Salt is good, but it can be overkill if you put too much. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? So um, back, back in that time period, um, they would put salt. Bakers would cover the floors of, of the ovens with salt because that would help with the, the burning of the dung that they would use as fuel in the ovens. And then after a while, that, 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 would, that would wear off, and so they would get rid of the salt. Okay, so basically, he's saying, don't be, you know, useless. You know, salt, salt seasons. Salt is a preservative. Salt gives, it gives life. We're the salt of the earth, right? We're supposed to pr produce an effect on the earth, okay? We, we bring forth a change. When you add salt to food, it's like, yay, now I can eat this food. It's tasty. It's enjoyable. And that's what we do to the earth. We bring forth change. We bring forth joy. We bring forth light. We, we bring flavor to the earth, okay? Where, uh, it, to a society that is down and that is depressed and is broken, we bring life and we bring joy. But if you've lost your saltiness, you're useless. It's not even good. Jesus said, you're not even good for the manure pile, Okay? We ha that's why we don't want to lose our saltiness. All right? We want to be used. We want to be effective in this world. Okay? But the only way that we can do that is if we're carrying our cross and if we're totally surrendered unto Jesus and if we've renounced all that we have and given, given our all, given our all to him. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? You can have ears. All right, we, all, we got ears, physical ears, but do we have ears to hear? That's what he's saying, to really hear internally. If you do, let, let, let hear, let yourself hear. Okay, so number one, point number one was, what was my first point? Consider the cost. Point number two is make the commitment. So now we're going to go to Luke chapter 18. Make the commitment. Now that you've considered the cost, make the commitment because that is the right choice. It's the only choice. The other, the other, the other road leads to destruction and, and, lead, and leads to hell, okay? But this is the road that leads to eternal life. Luke chapter 18. We're going to see about a person. Did he make the right choice? Did he make the commitment? Luke chapter 18, 
verse 18. How many of you are familiar with the story of the rich young ruler? Okay. Verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. So what'd he do? He said, sure. No problem. I've been, I've been meaning to do that, actually. That's what I was just thinking of doing. No, that's not what he did. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. He was grieved, is what that means. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or parents or or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in 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 this time and in the age to come eternal life. So, so we have this rich young ruler, okay? Probably not a synagogue leader because he would have been older, but maybe just a, um, a, a wealthy lay person, a leader in, uh, you know, in, the, in the community at that time. Okay, he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him some of the commandments. And so he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, okay, yep, I've, I've, kept, I've kept these commandments. And we might be saying to ourselves, no, that must be a lot of baloney. He must be lying. How can he say he's, he's done all this? But it's not really too unlikely for a person to say that type of thing back in those days because even Paul said of himself in the book of Philippians chapter 3 um, when, he was, when he was speaking about his past and he was saying, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it would be me because he said, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless in that. So even he had that kind of legalistic righteousness. So this guy probably had that. He probably was good at keeping the commandments and things like that, okay? So he's feeling pretty good. But Jesus says, okay. He said, but there's one thing that you still lack because Jesus knew. Jesus knows everything, right? He knew what was the problem, and he laid his finger on it, right on the man's heart, okay? Because he knew where his heart was. What does the Bible say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's just, that's the way it is, okay? He put his finger on it. He said, okay, this is what you're lacking. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. Now, Jesus didn't say that to everybody, right? But this man, this was his issue. This was his problem. This was his stronghold, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. This was what was keeping him from, from crossing the chasm. This was what was keeping him from the kingdom of God was his wealth, okay? And, and we see that th- that's the truth because look at his response. 
all of a sudden, his, everything just crashed down on him, his whole world, everything, all like the, the disappointment. His face probably just dropped. And he said, wait a minute. I don't know if he said anything, but he, he went away very, very sad because he was very wealthy. It was as if he said, oh, I, I'm sorry, you just, you just stepped over the line, Jesus. You're, now you're asking too much. Now you're asking to, you're, you're stepping over the God of wealth, okay, in my life. What is it that could be holding you back? What is it that could be holding me back from the kingdom of God? I pray that it's nothing. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And some translations capitalize the M in money because it wasn't uncommon at that time in the Greco-Roman period that they would deify a concept, like the God of, of this, the God of that. So it's like Jesus is like talking about the God of money here, okay? Like giving money, money as, a, as a God, like deifying it, okay? And, and to me, that sounds like pretty right in our culture today, okay? Because money, money is a God that people serve. And I hope it's not a God that you or I serve. But I think that's really a struggle that we have in our American culture today. Because you know what? And, I, and with the exception, and I don't want to be insensitive to anybody here because there could be people here that don't have a home. There could be people here that don't have a job. There could be people here that have no money in the bank. But with the exception of those... I would say most of us in this world would be considered the rich in the Bible. Maybe you won't, don't think that. Some of you maybe consider yourselves poor, but, but really, in contrast to most of the world, we are the rich that the Bible talks about. We are the rich. So woe to us and careful should we be to make sure that we make it into the kingdom. And that we don't allow our possessions or our wealth to hold us back into the kingdom. we got to make sure that we don't have money to be our God. And that we don't allow that to be a chasm between us and God. And I will say that if there is anything that holds us back and that, that from Jesus and that we're not willing to, God will put his finger on it in your life. If you're really serious about serving the Lord, God knows that you're serious and he loves you so much it, just like that song, that's why I love that song that we sang this morning, and it, and it really goes along with this message, you won't relent until you have it all. He loves us so much that he will keep, he will prod at us, and he will poke at us, and he will say, I want that, because that is holding you back, and that is, that's, that's vying for my attention, and, and it's, and it's, and, and I, God will not tolerate, he's a jealous God, he won't tolerate two masters in our lives. When he's calling us to take up the cross, he's asking for us to, have it all, to, 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 to give him all. There had to be a time in my life where I made a decision that I would give it all to Jesus. I came to know Jesus when I was a young teenager, but it wasn't until my senior year in, college, in high school when I was at an altar call that I, that I felt God saying to me, listen, you've been having one foot in the world and one foot with me, and you, and you really got to gotta." Come all in. You really got to make this decision now. And I made that decision to be all in. And I didn't even know what that all entailed, really. But I knew that I, I, I knew enough that I wasn't completely all in. And I had to give that over to Jesus. 
Because that's what he's looking for. He's looking for us to be all in. You know what Corey Tenboom said? She said, maybe some of you have heard this. She said, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. I'll say that again. Hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. And I had that tested uh, with, with me a, f- a few weeks ago when I was going to Guatemala. Um, it was, it was I, I, you know, I was planning on going on this trip for a long time, but um, I was getting very nervous toward the last few weeks because I just kept thinking about, oh, I got to leave my family, I got to leave my family. And, it, and um, it, was the long, it would be the longest time I had ever left my children. So um, I was crying that week, and then I was crying a lot the night before, and I kind of had a big meltdown. <laughs> And I was yelling at my husband, and the kids were all afraid and running, and running away from me. And, and it was just really bad. And I almost called Pastor Caitlin and really almost said, I'm, I just can't go. So, but um, I said, I'm going to put myself on that airplane. I'm going to sit there. And I'm just going to, because I knew that once I was in Guatemala, I couldn't leave. So I said, I'm just going to, I'm just, I just got to put myself on that plane. I don't know what shape I'm going to be in, but I'm just going to be sitting there. So, um, I, I did because, you know, I, right before I left, um, God showed me the scripture. He said, you know, that you can't love your children more than me. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, just, you know, that, that's, that, that, would be my, that would be my sensitive, that would be my, where God would poke his finger. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I don't have much that's worth anything. <laughs> other than that, you know, like as far as possessions. So um, that, that really, you know, that was hard for me. And so, but, but I felt like God was really saying, listen, you, you know, I'm asking you to go on this trip. And if you're going to tell me you can't because you can't leave your children, I mean, come on, you know, so I had, I had to do, but that was really hard for me. But you know what? God met me there and I was really, it was really rough the first couple of days, but he gave me the grace to go on the rest of the trip and I was fine. So he, he supplies what we need. He supplies what we need. I have, I have a, a kind of a, well, it's sort of a funny story, but it's a little kind of, you know, sad story in a way. There's this lady, there was this lady that was in an airport. Her name is Zhao. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but she was, she was making a connection in an airport in Beijing. And as she was going through security, she was stopped because she was trying to take a bottle of Remy Martin cognac um, through security in her carry-on. And, well, I'm sure you know what happened. Security told her that she could not take the $200 bottle of alcohol with her through security. Um, you know, she would have to try to get it in her checked luggage. But at that point, it was too late for her to get it in her checked luggage. So she said to herself, well, I'm not going to lose this 200 bottle of alcohol. I'm not going to just dump it and go on the airplane. So what do you think she did? She, I could just picture this little Asian lady, but anyway, she chugged the whole bottle, okay, and um, so she, uh, as a result, she was too drunk to stand, and um, security didn't allow her to board, thankfully, you know, and she was escorted in a wheelchair to a room where she slept until a family member was able to come and pick her up. So the, the point, the moral of the story is 
Sometimes we want to hold on to things, okay, because they're so precious to us and, you know, they're valuable to us, but in the long run, they're only going to hurt us, okay? They're only, you know, bad for us, okay? And so if we would just let go of those things that, are, you know, are, 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 are binding to us, then we would be much better off like that poor little lady. And I'm, I don't know what happened to her in the end, but her family came to her, so I'm sure she was okay after. But um, anyway... So let go, let go of those things. Um, the last point is continue the process, continue the process. So after you make the commitment, continue the process. Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. Okay. Then Jesus came and said, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we become Christians not just to sit and enjoy and soak in everything and just glide into the kingdom when we die. We become Christians so that we can reproduce, so that we can, be, we can uh, affect others so that they can come into the kingdom. Jesus called us to make disciples, not to make converts. That's part of it, but he's called us to make disciples of all the nations, okay? And discipleship is not easy, is it? Have you ever discipled anybody? Is it easy? No. Discipleship takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, blood, sweat, and tears. And many of us, let's be honest, don't want to be bothered. It's very quiet. <laughs> because what? We're busy Americans, right? We're busy Americans. We're go, go, go all the time. I admit it. I'm always, I always have something to do, right? But Jesus has called us to slow down and take time out for people. People are the most important things in our lives. People really are. That's what life is about. It's about people, okay? And he has called us to carve out time, to take time to develop other people in their lives and their walk with Christ. He wants us to make disciples of people, to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded you. And he said, I'm with you always. I'm going to be with you in this process as you disciple people, as you walk, as you talk, as you teach. I'm with you to the very end of the age. Isn't that encouraging this morning? That Jesus said, I am with you. I'm with you always. And as you count the cost and as you take up your cross, Jesus is with you. He's with me. He's with us always to the very end of the age. That's what he's called us to do. A disciple is a disciplined learner and follower of Jesus. That's, that's the definition. A, dis, a disciplined learner and follower of Jesus. That's what he's called us to be, and that's what he's called us to do. Who are the people around us that we need to make disciples of? You know, he might not give you 10 people. He might just give you one person to disciple, but that person will take a lot of your time, I guarantee it. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Take the time. Take the time out. As the worship team comes. The conclusion here would be what would keep you what would keep you away from the kingdom? 
What would keep me away? What, would, what is it? Do you have a price tag? Discipleship is priceless. Do you have a price tag with God? Is this something that you would say, oh, Lord, I'll give you everything, but not that. I mean, you know, I'll give you this instead. You can have this. How about that? I, I know a, a minister that I respect and love. He once, he, he'd, he'd been through a lot of suffering. He said, one time he got really angry at God, and he said to God, you know, God, I do this, this, and this for you, and I still go through this, and I still suffer this. And, and he said, I came to realize that there's no bargaining table with God. It's not that you do this for me, and God will do this for you, and that, you know, we don't, we don't bargain with God about anything. God owns everything. God deserves it all, okay? And the things that we might be holding on to are the things that are really going to bite us in the end. Hold on to the things that you have lightly because guarantee that God's going to ask for them anyway. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. A very strong, strong command here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the de desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what he's asking us to do, not to love the things of this present life, not to be attached to what we've got. Even, even our own families, not to love God, not to love our families more than him. And some of us, in our counting the cost, means we might be rejected by our families. We might lose our families. But you know what? We will gain so much more in Christ. You could never, God, you could never outgive God in anything. So, in the first service, we had, we had a good amount of time to reflect and contemplate. This morning, we still have a good amount of time. Um, we're going to have prayer. If I can have the elders and um, former elders, licensed ministers, be available here to pray for people. But, you know, so we encourage, if you want prayer, we're going to sing a, a, an, an old song, but a, a beautiful song, Take Up Your Cross. I asked Pastor Carrie if she would do this. Um, today, but if you would like prayer, that's great. But you know what? I really, I, I would ask you not to rush out. Like I said, we have some time. If you could just meditate before the Lord for a few minutes in your seat, if you, you know, you don't have to come forward. But um, let's just let's just press into God. Let's just press into Him and say, Lord, whatever it is, if you're tapping on something in my heart, help me to just give it, just give it over to you.